0: Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist, manager, and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox.
1: We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans.
0: Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? How are you feeling?
1: I'm good, Sam. How's it going? Grinding. Ain't no, ain't no other way, man. That's right. Ain't no other way. Mic drop. <laughs> He's Even gone he... for the rest of the episode. <laughs> that's it. He's he got to go back to grinding. That's, that's the only time you're going to hear Sam. Uh, but uh, really excited to introduce our guest today. Today, we have Trisha Arnold. Uh, she's a SVP of Global Label Management and Sales at The Orchard. So for those who don't know, The Orchard is a distribution company that operates under Sony and has since 2015. Um, they operate in 45 markets worldwide. And Trisha works across hundreds of big hitter releases, including from Georgia Smith, Kelsey Ballerini, and more. Um, so one thing that I think is really exciting about this episode that people will get the chance to kind of dive into is just getting to know international uh, markets and what makes them thrive. And one thing that I think is, is, is really exciting about um, her experience is that she's also an executive. So we get to talk about what it's like to, to help an artist and an act thrive in an international market. But we also talk about what it's like to uh, develop and, 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 and grow a high-performing team cross-culturally um, in different markets. So um, a lot of experience from a lot of years at the Orchard. She's, she's been there for, for nine years or so. So um, we get a good, we get a good uh, you know, idea of what the Orchard's about, what distributor's about, so on and so forth. And I think people will, people will really like this episode. What do you think, Sam?
0: Yeah, no, I really loved how she was able to, A, just kind of set the stage and dive deep into how distributors differ from labels and how the the Orchard goes about empowering the artists and label partners that they're working with. And also how the Orchard is really empowering kind of a, a massive wave of indie labels. We also dive into some very tactical strategies on how to identify and 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 break into specific international markets. So as you are thinking about a strategy for an artist you might be working with, uh, this gives very very strong directives as to how you can make sure you have very sound digital, uh, very sound strategy to break internationally. With that said. Also dive into holistic marketing strategies, why playlisting alone uh, is not the answer, and really also enjoyed her speaking to those different effective marketing and management tactics. So really excited about this episode. if you haven't already, do want to encourage you guys to, to check out our Patreon. We have some really awesome conversations going on in the Discord, some good networking, um, trying to find really awesome ways to, to help kind of community network with each other and, and help everybody succeed. That's why we all out here. We want to see everybody win. So go ahead, check that out, musicbusinesspodcast.com slash community. But
1: without any further ado, Trisha Arnold. Hey, Trisha.
2: Hey, how you doing?
1: Good, thank you for virtually coming out again. It's it's so it's so interesting getting to interview people wherever they are in the world. I'm I'm in Virginia, Sam is in Wyoming, you're in New York, but uh, glad that we could connect.
2: Very happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm actually in New Jersey. I'm in Jersey. Oh, New Jersey. City, so oh nice. Gonna, I gotta, we won't tell anybody. Shout out to
1: Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in New Jersey right before this too. So shout out, shout out New Jersey. Somebody called me with a seven three two number the other day, and I was like, Are you from New Jersey? So Shout out New Jersey, too. Yeah. Cool. Um, So I guess just to kind of lay the groundwork, uh, can you kind of break down your role at the Orchard for us and and what your goals are within the Orchard?
2: Yeah, sure. So I oversee our sales and label management teams outside of North America um, and defining North America as the U.S. and Canada. So Mexico sits under my remit as well. Um, So we have uh, over 45 offices globally. Um, And you know, teams in those offices working with retailers in their markets and also working with our our labels that are in those markets. So I oversee both of those teams. On the sales side, I'm really working with the teams that are pitching into retail, working across our global strategy for our our global priority releases. Um, And on the label management side, working with those teams to really develop processes uh, to scale our business uh, across across the territories we're working, scale our business and provide value to our labels that we're working with uh, as much value as we possibly can.
0: Awesome. I love that. So when, it, I think too, just to like really set the record straight, I think a lot of our distributors um, operate very much in tandem with lots of record labels. Can you just speak a little bit to the, the what kind of distinguishes the two and kind of like what specifically your focus is as the, the orchard and as a distributor and how that differs a bit uh, and what you guys don't do relative to record labels?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, started my career actually working at a record label. Um, And I I think kind of the lines have maybe blurred a little bit more over the last couple of years, as, you know, you know, a lot of labels, we're working with a lot of indie labels. And so, so many of those labels don't necessarily have the big infrastructure that uh, a major record label would have. So, you know, they don't necessarily have in-house people providing like advertise, like doing advertising or doing sort of like, you know, doing like different promo aspects or release strategy and different things like that. So I think, you know, in the distributor sphere, like we introduce as many services as we can to really provide that extra value to our labels for things that they can't nec- they don't necessarily have the resource to do in-house. Um, but, or you know, distribution at its core is really, you know, taking the music from the labels, getting it out to services, both physically and digitally. Um, and that's at the core what it is. But then it's the additional services that you can layer on to really provide value to your labels and partners that you're working with. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of labels that we're working with, but we also work sometimes with, with direct, artists directly as well, if that's what, that's what the artist, um, their setup is.
0: Yeah, no, I love that too. And I think just being able to really leverage the the infrastructure and experience that you guys have as an organization to empower what's a very quickly growing wave of independent record labels. When you think about the the difference between, I know on the flip side too, there's been a lot of like DIY dis- distributors, but I think there definitely is a kind of white glove element. And I think that the resources and connections that the, the orchard has definitely like set it apart. I'm curious from your perspective, kind of when you think like, don't necessarily need you to like pitch us on the orchard, very like credible company, but like if I'm, if Jordan's releasing his long awaited uh, EP that he's been cooking up, <laughs> what, um, like what would be the, the value and has potentially an indie label partner and they're considering working with the orchard versus working with a, a DIY service? Like what are the core elements of how the orchard actually helps these indie label partners rather than what he'd be able to get from a, a DIY distributor? It's
1: like DistroKid or something
0: like that. <laughs>
2: yeah, sure. I mean, that's, that's one of my favorite, that's one of my favorite topics actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the additional services that we can bring in. So, you know, you, you can release through a DIY kind of platform, but you know, we really try and work with our labels and artists on release strategy. We've got the scale to get into retailers and digital services all over the world, like whether it's the big global accounts that you know, but also a lot of the smaller accounts that might be specific to a different market. So we have a lot, we go into, we have a lot of platforms that we can deliver to. And we also have, it's that scalability of our team as well, you know, you can, you can do a, a DIY service, but we've got people all over the world who have those local connections with retailers and are having those conversations um, about the releases that we're putting out and can kind of get you more in front of the different services in different territories when there's opportunities for you. And our teams can also advise on like what those opportunities in the markets could be, the things that matter for their territory and can help move the needle. Uh, We also offer in-house advertising services, um, neighboring societies, um, sync. You know, we do sync for our clients and there's a lot of different services, you know, rights management, YouTube optimization, all these different things that you can do to really sort of maximize your opportunities for revenue and look to develop audiences, drive engagement, and really kind of get as much as much happening on your releases as you possibly can.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. When it comes to the side of, uh, and I love too, just the the importance of the local strategy there and the, the local relationships too. Cause I know we actually had somebody on from the kind of the Spotify international expansion team. And she was really speaking as to how much work they really do to localize their efforts, whether it's regard to local playlist curators or different local activations. So definitely see like major value with regards to the side of uh, being able to have a really strong read on that and, and be able to to leverage the relationships you have with the different retailers and DSPs to have a and be able to kind of match make those Opportunities with the artists, whereas the on the DIY side, it's kind of just like, yeah, sure, it's live, but it, not much support past that.
2: Yeah, I think it's really important to, and you know, I work, I work in international, and that's what my career's been in. So I think it's really important to have that kind of knowledge base locally in different territories because you know, territories are all very, very different and very particular, and things that move the needle in one ter- territory are very specific to those territories you know you can't just say oh i'm going to record a song in spanish and that means it should be big in latin america it doesn't really work that way you know you have to you have to work your release and set up drivers in different territories and think about the places where it fits you know if you're thinking about playlisting and things like that think about the places where it actually fits in those different markets um, and you know, I think I think that value really comes to having people on the ground and people on the ground who can also help connect you to if there's promo or marketing companies that you want to look to hire in a different territory. Um, and you know, one thing I actually forgot to mention in something that's very important is what we do at the Orchard is data and using data and leveraging data and showing a lot of data to our our labels and our artists. So that they can look, you know, very easily see where there's opportunities for them, where something might be developing that they were unaware of. And maybe they should think about doing some advertising there. or They should think about doing investing in some promo companies there.
1: Right. Speaking of uh, different territories, I guess I kind of have two questions. One is what are the different aspects that you think you kind of need to know for each market in order to be successful in it? What's some of the information that you get for those people on the ground? And how do you keep your finger on the pulse over time? How do you make sure that you're kind of staying on top of these trends? And, and what does that kind of look like? And, and how do you mobilize your team in order to kind of have this brain trust of information in order to be successful in different territories?
2: I think the one way we at The Orchard really kind of keep, uh, uh, you know, Kind of keep the pulse on what's happening in different territories is we communicate a lot. Like we communicate across our different territories. We have several different times and we just all sort of like hop on calls or hangouts and just kind of like update each other on what's happening in different territories and really kind of brainstorm together on projects that we're working with. Like, okay, we've got this project and, you know, this territory is an area of focus. What should we be focusing on there? What's going to move the needle there? I think just really in that aspect, communication is absolutely key. You know, I can sit in, I can sit um, in Jersey City and, you know, be doing international, but I really just need to constantly be communicating with different territories and hearing from them and, you know, getting to visit them when you have the opportunity to. And I I think that's something really important for people to take on as well. Actually going to a market and, you know, taking the time to, you know, be actually in the market, meet people in the market, nothing gives you that same kind of experience as sort of actually being there and that face-to-face experience with, I know it's a kind of weird time during COVID to be saying that, But it is a really invaluable experience. I think when you're working in different territories, you really need to think about what matters for that territory. You need to think about like, you know, you, you can't just expect that you'll get on a playlist and that's necessarily going to break you in a territory. You really need to invest in a territory and think about, you know, doing a specific, the way if you're setting up a release in America, like you're going to want to have marketing drivers and you're going to want to have your marketing plan specific to what's happening in America. Well, you need to be thinking about that in every territory where you're looking to develop your artist. You know, are there different influencers that you should be working with in different markets? Are there different ad platforms that you should be looking at or investing in? Um, And just really building out plans very specific um, to different territories.
1: Um, just out of curiosity, how much is, like, the country's uh, political climate or economical climate or kind of any of those, like, high-level things, how, how much does that come into, come into conversation or not necessarily? Is it more so, like, hyper-focused to, to music?
2: Um, I'd say overall, like, sometimes things like that can come up. I'm actually trying to think of specific examples. Well, I mean, one really big example uh, right now that a, a lot of people are working through is Brexit, of course, with the UK, mm. You know, I also work across physical distribution. And so a lot of the challenges that have happened in, you know, with Brexit have really affected, um, you know, kind of kind of the way that you do business on the physical side. So things like that, but it's often things that have an effect on what's happening in the industry, uh, essentially. Right,
1: right. Cool, and then also, um, you know, we just spoke of kind of a lot of variables to pay attention to. How do you, you know, there's there's one thing for releasing music um, and and making sure that it hits the market in the way that's appropriate for that market, but how do you manage high performing teams across borders um, where there may be cultural differences uh, in people's backgrounds that may influence the way that things are interpreted or, or 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 anything sort of like that, for example.
2: Yeah, I think you know, I think that you have to be really hyper aware of that when you're working across different territories and that there are cultural differences. And so if, you know, people, you know, might say something in one territory that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily say in a different territory, sort of react in a different way, um, you need to kind of pick that apart and sometimes understand that it could just be a cultural difference kind of thing. I think at the Orchard, you know, as far as working with our internal teams, we're fairly lucky because we do communicate an awful lot. And Mm -hmm. I think that helps us build rapport and sort of understanding of one another. And I think that communication is really key to like build up that rapport. So you sort of like get and you see where each other's coming from uh, a little bit more. um, and, And you can kind of work through things that might be cultural differences that maybe sometimes cause a conflict. Um, I was actually speaking to one of my, um, you know, one of my colleagues on my team who, um, you know, she's of Korean descent. And, you know, we were talking one time about cultural differences between Korea and the United States. And, you know, she said something that I thought was really insightful in that, you know, a lot of times when there might be clashes with you know, a Korean business and someone doing business in the United States is that in Korea, like, you know, 100, you know, everyone is looking for 100%, whereas sometimes in America, like 80% is really good. <laughs> and so yeah. like, there's, that, <laughs> there's a little bit of a difference. And so when you understand, you, you sort of like think about things like that and understand where people are coming from. I think it, 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 can eliminate a lot of that conflict that can come up.
0: Okay. makes a lot of sense. And I, I love too just the kind of the holistic approach to creating well-rounded territory specific strategies. I'm curious. I know a while ago, too, we also had a a guest from Chartmetric, this guy Chaz Jenkins, and he actually kind of published it. There's like a concept in a series of articles talking about like global trigger cities. And what they essentially did was a handful of research that was looking into some of the markets that you might not necessarily assume as being like the cultural capitals and tastemakers of the world. But like... I mean, according to the data they pulled in like May 2019, which is when it was pulled, it was like Mexico City and uh, in Santiago, Chile, were like the the biggest like cities in Spotify, and that if you in theory could help drive a lot of adoption in those markets, it could help kind of lift lift the the stock and, and help drive awareness in other markets. For- also too, I mean, being a marketer myself, like sometimes too, we see that like in a country like Mexico City or, or Santiago, it's like slightly lower GDP per capita when compared to the US and therefore some of the the ad buying costs or like CPMs, like if you're running ads, like you get significantly mm-hmm. lower, like cost per click. So like the cost of acquiring one listener, or one fan might be lower. So mm-hmm. lo- long winded question, but like, do you feel when you're looking at what territories do you want to target in your experience, have you found like markets that might not intuitively be like, Oh yeah. London's like a global capital as well, but instead like Mexico city, they dominate Spotify. If we can break in Mexico city, it'll help us break in other markets.
2: Well, it, it sometimes depends upon the project and also kind of depends upon like where something might have signs of developing in that market. Otherwise, you know, as I say, like we use a lot of data. So we'll look, you know, when we're looking for further territories for expansion, sometimes we'll look at, okay, like how many, like say something has recently come out, how many new listeners, like unique listeners are we getting on something that, Um, on that and is there like an increase in unique listeners in a different territory and kind of looking at different metrics like that to think about where we want to be targeting next and you're right like taking in things into consideration like lower cost to the market like you know we you might want to do a radio campaign in France on uh, a Latin title for example because you know you can do a, a a radio campaign in france relatively cheaply compared to what you would do it in america and it can have like a really strong impact then on your streams like it can really help build and grow something within the market but i think another thing that you want to think about as far as the amount that you're investing into a market is also think about the amount that you can get back from the market as well. So looking at territories that have higher rates of monetization or lower rates of monetization. Um, so taking, taking all those kind of factors into consideration. Right, right. But there are like, to use an example, like, you know, we've seen in the past, like in the Philippines, people start listening to Christmas music earlier than they do in some other territories. So, you know, you might want to start, like, marketing your your Christmas releases in, in the Philippines before you start marketing in some other territories.
1: That's, like, a lot to think about because <laughs> there, there, there's so many territories. So, like, the fact that you just brought up the Philippines... So precisely, I'm thinking like there's so many different countries. I'm sure that you have to ask yourself those same questions and make those same decisions. That obviously may seem micro because in the big scheme of the world, they're just one country, but it is an entire country. Yeah. You know, um, that's awesome. I guess to kind of piggyback off that, what is the general structure like? Kind of break down the structure of a team that's your team, and 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 kind of what it looks like from from you down or Or, you know, from your boss down or, you know, whatever you you think is relevant, I guess, to kind of accomplish those goals.
2: Yeah, well, um, there's a couple couple different teams that I work with. So because we are working very globally, um, I oversee directly a team that sits in New York that really works. um, It's our international label management team. And they are really working with a lot of our projects that are like, really big global projects. So things that, um, you know, there are a lot of drivers in different territories and an artist has a following in uh, different territories. Often there's a physical element involved in it. And also working with, um, you know, we also work very closely with our other territories on releases that might be originating from elsewhere in the world that are looking to really develop an audience in the United States or um, say something's coming from Asia they're really looking to develop in the United States or perhaps Europe um, or in the West a little bit. Um, So we've got that team but then, you know, as I mentioned kind of earlier, um, you know, broadly overseeing the label management and sales teams outside of the U.S. and Canada. So, you know, those people that we do have, like, you know, we do have those people in the ground in the different territories who are pitching retail, like the local offices of Spotify and YouTube and Apple and all those. But then there are also so many other DSPs that are particular to different markets that, you know, we don't, you know, you might not have heard of in the States, like there's KK. There's Clara Musica, there's V Contact, there's you know a whole wealth of other um, companies out there that you know are very specific to different markets, and so people are talking to those accounts as well. Um, so all of those teams, and then you know our our global label management team, which is a, a pretty big team because you know in all these different territories we're working with labels within those markets, and you know one thing that's really evident like music has also become very local in the last couple of years like if you're looking at the spotify charts in different territories like you know if you look at the spotify charts in in spain it's going to be a lot of spanish artists if you look at the spotify charts in france it's going to be a lot of french artists and so markets have become very local so we have a lot of people working with our labels and artists in different territories um, and working directly with them, uh, you know, it's really key to sort of like build up those relationships with, with labels that are based in wherever, wherever we are as well. Um, And I think, I think, you know, we are very strong in a lot of territories because we have those, you know, great labels from all over the world. And that, that just helps us both with our retail discussions on those releases, but also on any sort of developing global priorities as well, because you've got that strong local content. So as you're talking about like your strong local Spanish artist, you can talk about this artist who's coming in from the United States, who's looking to develop their audience in Spain as well.
0: Yeah, that no, makes a lot of sense. I'm curious too, cause you're mentioning like, I mean, locally and kind of nurturing those relationships with a lot of the local, like DSP offices and doing kind of tailored playlist pitching having seen and probably placing tons of songs on on different playlists, I I know playlists, a lot of emerging artists feel like it's like this do or die thing. That's going to help like launch them into another stratosphere. And then on the flip side, sometimes you see like a song get placed on a major playlist and maybe it drives a lot of streams, but they don't necessarily uh, become like retained fans and, and, and actually convert to like listeners or followers on Spotify. So from like your perspective, having kind of marketed and promoted music for so long, like, how important do you feel playlisting is to breaking artists and not just breaking songs?
2: I am a very big believer that um, a playlist is not your marketing plan.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> you know, getting on playlists is great and it can drive a lot of streams, but as you say, you know, it's it doesn't always develop a fan. Um, you know, there's plenty of instances where there are artists who are very big on Spotify and they're getting a lot of streams, but you go to see them at a show and there isn't anyone there. So I think playlisting is one part of like an overall strategy that you need to develop your artist. Like it's one part. And I, 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 you know, and you kind of need that, you need that sort of more holistic approach because you're not you're not really looking to drive streams like you're you're looking to drive streams in one aspect of it but you're looking to to drive engagement and looking to draw to build an audience and you know you want that to continue over time you don't want all of your business to be reliant on whether something's on a playlist because ultimately you have no control over that right like you can't control that. So, you know, you could be getting 75% of your streams from a playlist on a service, but if you get taken off that playlist, well, they're like, what's happening beyond that? You want to build your fan base and build your audience so that you have, you've got a career outside of that, right? Like you want to have a career (laughs) as an artist, like you want to have a career outside of that. You want people coming to your show. You want people constantly engaging with your music so I think playlisting is, it's very important because you can get in front of like a lot of new people, but it's like one aspect. And I think it's kind of one of those things where, you know, they always say about advertising that you need to see and ad what, like nine times or something like that before it registers. So I think playlisting is sort of like one element of a overall strategy for developing an artist where like, okay, maybe you read something online about an artist and then you see an ad and then, It's on this playlist that you follow. And it's just this constant message or like getting in front of people from as many different ways that you can, I think is one of many different ways that that you always want to be pushing to get in front of people.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, I've obviously heard people speak about the the importance of playlisting a lot, but I feel like your explanation and and comparing it to like advertisements just made something click in my head. and 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 I hope it does for our audience as well um i totally like i'm thinking about my own music taste and if what playlisting i guess has in my life it plays a role in my life as a consumer and i will say at least myself and i obviously don't necessarily represent the average music consumer but there are a lot of songs that are only in my playlists like i don't i don't follow Mm -hmm. on spot i don't follow even follow on spotify i don't follow on instagram i don't follow on twitter i definitely won't go to a show And and i've actually um work with artists where it's, it's been a a similar thing, you know, they'll have up to like a couple million monthly listeners, um, but are having trouble like selling out a show. So I'm kind of thinking like this whole thing is, and hopefully people kind of get this too, like all of a a flywheel that kind of feeds into each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's relevant to press playlisting, like you're saying, um, and sort of everything that involves getting you in front of, your potential audience it all kind of connects to each other. So yeah. um, just just figured out how to point that out as like a, a cool moment. But yeah.
2: And then of course there's there's different types of playlisting as well. Like so mm-hmm. there's there's so many where it's more of a laid back kind of experience. And I think a lot of those kind of playlists mm. like can be great at like driving streams and you know can you know get get some new people listening to you. But, you know, it might be something someone just has in the background as they're studying or something like that, and they're not, like, actively looking at it, whereas there are other playlists that you listen to, like, specifically because you want to discover new music, right? Like, they're the ones that you do go to because, you you know, it's a playlist that you like. Mm -hmm. And you specifically want to hear what's new in that genre or, um, you know, to, to discover something. And then that's a more active listener where, you know, you have a better chance of someone, you know, thinking like, oh, I haven't heard of this artist. I'm going to go listen to some more from that artist as well.
0: Yeah, right. a thousand percent. So to build upon the point you made about kind of playlisting itself not being your marketing strategy, I know you've alluded to other elements of a sound marketing strategy, especially with regards to international, looking at, A, just kind of starting by identifying what markets you want to tackle based on trends within your own audience, as well as general market trends. You mentioned once you've maybe identified what those territories are, what are the maybe local influencers or, or how can you go about reaching fans in that market? Uh, when, what, what to you are the, the most important elements of a, of a sound and, and well-rounded rollout strategy?
2: That's a really hard question. And I actually don't think there's an answer to it because I think it really varies very much. Like I think you need, we were, need to we were expecting
0: at- the, the silver bullet on how to hit a- <laughs> uh, right.
2: it. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the, the answer. For Nobody it.
0: does. <laughs> yeah. no one knows. Nobody that's
2: does. part of what makes music so great. Isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not like we're working with like, Beans or something that like yeah. helps There's, that there's not just one
1: template. Get, we gas can gas just the put the yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's so many. Like one thing that I just I'm loving right now is the whole is the whole TikTok thing and that something can just take off out of nowhere that like, you know, you can have the the best kind of like plans for a release or something like that. And then here's this release from, we actually had a release from Lawrence Welk. I don't know if you guys know who Lawrence Welk is, but um, it's a catalog release. My grandmother used to watch Lawrence Welk on Saturday nights on PBS. So that's, that's quote, wow. right? Well, what a and moment for you, track, also. Like That's went awesome. viral on TikTok, like just out of nowhere, and it is so cool. <laughs> but-
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's de- it's definitely exciting, kind of seeing, especially with like you know we always talk about underpriced attention, um, and how like TikTok right now, there's underpriced attention. LinkedIn, there's underpriced attention. That's changing what that that's constantly changing what that marketing silver bullet, so to speak, looks yeah. like, you know, yeah.
2: kinda... and like, I don't really think there is a, I don't really think there is a silver bullet. Like there's things that are defi- there are things that are definitely good ideas and that you should be doing. Um, but I think it, you know, each campaign needs to vary by what the music is and what the artist is and what the artist vision is. Um, because that's it's really like music is really personal and I think I think you need that sort of like authenticity to it to make it ultimately resonate and also like one thing I think you know you can't lose sight of is you also need a real you also need a really good song
1: yeah yeah (laughs) definitely I'm sure everybody's listening to this right now like my stuff is fire. What are you talking about? <laughs>
2: Great songs. Yeah, uh, I mean, we have one artist that we we have one artist that we worked with that. You know, and this is a this is a good example of just something resonating with people mm-hmm. the way that it came. we had an artist that we worked with. It was a brand new artist. And, um, you know, she she didn't have any budget for um, any hiring promo teams or anything like that. But, you know, she she knew all the sort of best practices to do with different services, best practices mm-hmm. to do on posting on your socials. And she just had a really good song and was a really good songwriter. And just by, like, you know, being authentic and pushing it out and, like, doing as much as she could to promote herself, finding the right places for it on um streaming services um it just got in front of people and like it just kind of like it resonated with people and it built and built and built from there but i think there was a real there was a real sort of like i mean firstly the music was great and secondly like there was a real authenticity to that as well
1: yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, Lil Nas X when he did all of that grassroots marketing on Twitter for his song "Old Town Road," mm-hmm. and I heard just as many conversations saying that he should be a marketing consultant as he should be nominated for Grammy. <laughs> it, was, it was like, did you did you see the way that he broke down meme culture and promoted? And people were people were analyzing it on Twitter for like months afterwards. You know, mm-hmm. um, it just goes to show that there's a lot that artists can do for themselves, also. Um, mm-hmm cool i guess um one question i kind of wanted to pivot to is um what so like what do you think when do you think is the moment a record label should start looking for a separate distributor i guess and 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 what do you think um are kind of the signs of a of a record label that may potentially work with a business like the orchard like what are what are some of the things that you think are important for labels to do going into business with distributors and what do you think they should do kind of prior to that kind of leads them up to that point?
2: You know, that's a, that's, that's a really good point. Um, that's a, that's a really good question. I think definitely, um, you know, I I think definitely when you're at the point where, you know, if we're talking about it, I guess we're talking about kind of a, a new label that's getting started out.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right. Or or a label that's been around for a little bit, but doesn't necessarily know what that next step looks like. So it could it could be, you know, I have a bunch of friends that start labels. Some of them may have an artist that pops off. Some of them may have done that marketing that we're talking about, have those little Nas X's that have done the grassroots and things like that, but don't really Mm -hmm. know the world of distribution and what it's like to kind of take it to the next level on that front.
2: I think one thing that we've seen, like when, when labels come to us when they're in that situation, um, and, and I, I'd say this is a pretty good rule of thumb to go by, is that yes, there's a lot that, you know, there are those instances where somebody has done a lot on their own and they have like an artist that's popping off or something like that, or a couple, or the business is just sort of developing. I think when you get to that point, most of the times it's, it's, you know, relatively small operations. When you get to that point, um, when you realize and, you know, you probably need to have a lot of, you might not realize it yourself. It's probably good to start talking to distributors, but when you realize you're actively missing out on opportunities because you just can't do it all. Like you're not getting on all the stores that you should be getting on. You're not you know, developing in different territories where, you know, there might be opportunities. Maybe you see something happening in the data, but like, there's nothing happening there because like, you're not talking to anyone there. There's no one working it there for you. Um, When you get to that point where you, you, you're just not able to, to get in as many places as you need to get it really.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. So
0: I guess as as we kind of talk about like indie labels, when you think about the the future of indie labels and I think being able for like these mid-tier indie labels and even just them having the opportunity to partner with the Orchard definitely provides a, a lot of kind of uh, infrastructure that they can't do on their own. Um, I'm curious if you see more indies eating up top like Billboard Top 100 market share more and more in the coming years. Or do you think that like indie labels really will, if you want to truly launch a massive hit record or, or build a global superstar, like without the infrastructure of kind of the, the major label system, it's it's almost impossible to do.
2: I think, you know, we're seeing all over the world that indie market share is growing all over the world. And I think that is testament to just how, you know, just how accessible music is now. Like, you know, it's so much easier to find and develop, it's so much easier to find and develop things where you wouldn't have had an opportunity before. Like, look, when you're going back to the days where, you know, everyone's releasing CDs and that's where how everybody listens to music, you know, there are so many barriers to entry to that, right? Like, you know, you need to actually, produce a product and ship product to different territories but now like there's just so much access to music that naturally like indies just going to keep developing and getting bigger and bigger because there are those opportunities you know you have artists who who can develop something them you can develop something on their socials and build up followings on their socials um, that then translate into into more streams. i think I think indie market share is just going to keep growing, to be honest,
0: yeah, for sure. no it's and it's exciting too. And I feel like the I love seeing the partnership models that are enabling that growth, whether it's like by way of the the orchard and and kind of like these even if it's like JV structures or whatever it may be, but just um, because I think if you think about if uh, like a management company has a knack for helping develop artists, working with artists, helping them market their own work and then can kind of tap in and and leverage the best of both worlds. That to me seems like a a very like winning formula. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that's also really interesting right now too, is that there can be so many different, so many different setups and so many different successful setups and it really sort of it it depends upon like what your needs are and you know what what your goals are ultimately
1: right absolutely um i guess as we sort of kind of close out just to kind of zoom out to kind of like high level career values and then we'll kind of dive a little bit deeper into the different areas that you've had uh in your career what are some of the values that you think have afforded you the success that you've reached uh so you know over over the long term
2: um, I definitely would say, um, hard work. Uh, I have, a instilled from my, my parents and my family, a very, um, ethic of hard work. Um, I think that definitely in what I do being empathetic towards people, um, and working to really understand different cultures and be, aware, um, and respectful of different cultures, um, and, and where other people are coming from is really important. Um, I also kind of think just trying to think of the best way to put it, but just sort of like, just kind of, just kind of going for it really, you know, like you just kind of, you have to, you have to be really self-motivated and you have to, um, you know, always be willing you know i've always been the sort of person that i'm willing to like get in and get my hands dirty you know and i i think that's really sort of helped push my yeah. career along and just sort of you know working to figure things out um and and keep keep moving forward really
1: awesome i love that
2: i guess it goes back to a hard work ethic you know yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. it's a big part of it so all, all, all roads lead back to hard work always. <laughs> no um when you think about on the the side of kind of like a, as a manager and, and leader, I mean, because this requires its own skill set too. Like um, throughout your career, I mean, whether it's you thinking back to great managers or like bosses you had, and now you as as a as a manager, like what do you feel are some of the things that you try to be very conscious of as a manager when trying to elicit or trying to kind of evoke really high performance from a team? Yeah,
2: well, I mean, one thing that you know, I really noticed sort of early in my career, a manager that I had that I try and think about a lot because I know how valuable it was for me, um, was that I had, I had a manager that like would always put you that next step beyond your comfort level. So it's like, here's your comfort level. And then, you know, they take you right to the next part. And the first time they'd really have your back, they'd really be there for you. Um, and really kind of you know, walk you through it and like, be right with you, be right there with you in it. But then the next time it was just sort of, Trisha's got it. And, you know, it just kind of like, it really kind of helped build your confidence, but also, you know, also kind of forced you to take on things that maybe you weren't comfortable with, but in a way that had a lot of support at the same time. So that, as I was developing my, in my career was really Impactful for me, so I try, I try and take that on with with my teams as well um, when the opportunity affords it. I think the other thing that you know, uh, I have to say, I'm very lucky with my teams. My teams are awesome and very self motivated people, um, people who are really passionate about their jobs. Um, so I'm actually very lucky. Um, and but I think you know working with people so that they feel personally invested in what they're doing. Um, And it's not just a job to them. And I think that some ways that you do that is, you know, making sure that people are really clear on the overall goals and overall strategy, listening to them and letting them have input in what that is when it make when that makes sense um, so that they feel that they're part of the process Um, And also like making sure everyone really understands like, you know, sometimes you're working for a company and like you're doing your bit here, this person's doing their bit there and you don't necessarily, you know, you don't necessarily understand how that contributes to the larger picture. And I think it's really important that people do understand how they contribute to the overall success. So say you get like a number one record in a territory and you have somebody working operations or something like that well, the work that they did in making sure that that delivery got there on time or that delivery got there on time. We couldn't have had a number one record without that, you know, is how everybody contributes to the larger goal and then really celebrating those successes as well and giving people credit for, for their contribution to it.
1: Um, there's a couple of things that I like there that I kind of want to just point out. Um, one, you just brought up positive affirmations. Um, and I think that I've only worked two jobs in my adult life but I would say that that's the that's the the thing that I think people and managers don't necessarily do enough so I even try to do it with my coworkers and colleagues and I think that's really important and for any team I think that's important. Um the other thing you brought up which is like fear it's actually funny that we're having this conversation about that in particular because someone asked me recently what what are the most things what are the things that I value most at a job um and I also said a manager that Pushes me a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think getting used to that fear, and I'm not an executive yet or at an executive level, but I feel like getting used to that uh, slight fear and slight discomfort is probably what makes you a good leader eventually, you mm-hmm. know, and, and which will make the people that work for you good leaders eventually is that when they're, you know, faced with uncomfortable decisions, they already know how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And then lastly, um, I think in the music industry in my experience so far um, celebrating has been a, a, a pretty large part of it. Um, but I do think there are, there is a, a, a small part or not a small part of it, a significant part, cause it's influenced me somewhat, but definitely a part of it. That's like, okay, but we got to keep going, but we got to keep going, but we got to keep going. So I, I really appreciate um, you kind of, taking the time to also say, like celebrating those moments, making people feel great for their contributions, kind of living in it and then moving forward because that journey and that progress, I feel like, I mean, you know, maybe it does at some point, but I feel like it, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. You know, you're, you're accomplishing things five years from now that you didn't think you could accomplish. And I'm sure back then you probably thought, oh, that was it. You know, that, that's, that's probably the mecca, but then there's another goal, <laughs> yeah. you know, so celebrating those small moments is kind of what differentiates them.
2: Yeah, I I think that's I think that's a really good point Jordan and you know kind of recognizing that everybody's on a path and everybody's mm-hmm. you know they might be in different places in their path or different places in their progression but you know even as a manager or even like as you get to executive level or something like that you're still developing in your own career. Uh-huh. And you know that's a good thing. You don't want to stop developing your own career. That would be boring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone's still everyone's still developing. So I think also really thinking about like, you know, you know, even as a manager yourself, thinking about your own path and and like how you want to develop, and then you know what's mm-hmm. important to you as you're on that path. and like thinking about those things and how how your team is looking to you for that guidance as well. And, you know, something else like on, you know, thinking about the positive affirmation. I think it's also really important to just to give feedback at any time, like positive or negative. I think that, you know, people people hate giving feedback more than they hate receiving it. Um, and people are much more nervous about giving feedback than than receiving it. And I think that, I you know, ultimately, like the teams that I work with, everyone, like, Everyone's always really happy for any kind of regular feedback, um, you know, whether it's saying, OK, but maybe we should do it this way next time. Or have you thought about that? Or whether it's saying, yes, this is awesome or something like that. But kind of that constant feedback and also having a real open door at all times for people mm-hmm. to talk about their career goals and career development. Like it's not it's not a yearly conversation or it shouldn't be a yearly conversation. Right. Um, because these are, these are things that are in the forefront of people's minds, like every day, like when they go to bed right. at night or something like that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a constant, it's a constant thought in progression.
1: Awesome. Well, Tricia, again, want to thank you for for virtually coming out. I think there's so much that people can learn from in this episode. And um, I'm really excited for it to release. Hopefully you had a good time.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really awesome to to spend some time chatting with you guys.
1: Awesome.
0: The pleasure is ours. Thank you so much, Trisha. <laughs> Take care. Man, really enjoyed that episode. I think her experience clearly shows we, we definitely threw a lot of challenges straight to the point questions, but I think she had very succinct, potent, valuable answers for every single one. Also personally, really excited just to see how they continue to grow and serve indie labels. Cause I think there is kind mm-hmm. of this, uh, infrastructure that they're able to provide given the the scale that they're operating at and the, the sorts of relationships that enables them to create with different DSPs. So I, I think uh, really excited for what she had to say and then also just for the, the work that The Orchard's doing. What we'll stood out to you?
1: Well, The Orchard's been a company that I've I've heard about, read about. I know people that have worked there before. I followed them for you know many years since I since I pretty much moved to New York in, in 2012. So um, it was super interesting to finally get to talk to somebody who's been there um, for for almost that long or or or, or longer. So um, definitely glad that we were able to kind of shed light on what distribution companies are for people that want to know how they differentiate between DIY distribution companies and a company like the Orchard, uh, but also how it works globally and one thing that I super liked was that we talked about when it makes sense to get a distributor. So, um, you know, after listening to this episode, I think a lot of people will know what steps they need to take to either partner with a distribution company or, you know, sign their artists to one when it makes sense to So.
0: Thousand percent. Well, appreciate you as always for tuning in. We'll be back next week until then we out.